I say this and people are, it's kind of like shock factor. You should never hire based on a job description. <laughs> you, you should always hire based on how they fit your culture and your team. And then second place comes. Is it great to hire the job description? Yes. If I'm going in for surgery, do I want a licensed, experienced doctor performing the surgery? Yes. But I don't want a negative Nelly doctor coming in and saying, this surgery's, this surgery's not going to work. You're not going to recover from this surgery. But we'll st still perform it. And unfortunately, that's that's how many people are hired. Well, they can do the job, but their energy is just off and it never works out ever. You're listening to the Focus on Customer Experience podcast. podcast. Benjamin Del Grosso gives you the ins and outs of one of the most underlooked aspects in business today. Improve your customer service and watch your business skyrocket. Two, one. Now, here's your host. Benjamin Del Grosso. Hello and welcome to the show. Today we have Mitch Gray. Mitch Gray has combined over two decades of experience as a former pastor, life coach, entrepreneur, community developer, and creator to develop a brand of leadership that is at its deepest level human. Taking his heart for inspiring others and his passion for empowering leaders, Mitch creates the space needed to consider a new way of leading. Mitch is the creator and host of the Mitch Gray Show podcast, author of How to Hire and Keep Great People, and a highly regarded speaker. Mitch, welcome to the show. Hey, what's up? I am excited to be here and uh, to dig in. Yeah, so I guess, you know, everybody wants to know your story. So how did you get to doing what you're doing now <laughs> right um yeah well it kind of gets people in my bios the whole former pastor idea right um and so I, I, honestly i just th this sounds so simple and um when i say it people are like okay that's great but what i, I am very motivated by it. i have been since i was a kid to just to just inspire people to help people um, my life's mantra is to help people live deeper, more meaningful lives. And when I was 10 years old, I had this kind of uh, premonition, you could say, where um, I just want to inspire as many people as possible, millions of people to consider living life uh, from a very intentional um, place of living. The culture I grew up in, very conservative, religious American culture, um, the answer to that desire was to be a preacher. Right? That was kind of where everything went. If you want to inspire people, you become a preacher. Um, if you want to help people, you become a preacher, a pastor. And so that was kind of my dream ever since I was 10 years old. It's, it's what I went to school for. I did that for a while. Oddly enough, I've kind of learned to adopt this saying, and that is the problem with dreams is we can only interpret them from our current perspective. And so for me at 10 years old, helping and inspiring people meant being a pastor. The problem with that was I was great at some of it. I wasn't very good at some of it. And it caused me to get fired multiple times. <laughs> nothing legally, nothing like that. And just um, I, I, I tend to cause people to think and to consider things that they've never considered before. There's a real challenge to that is, and when people have to consider something that they've never considered before, especially when it comes to religion or politics, it scares them. 
and they get they, they kind of get filled with discomfort and it's like oh my gosh who is this person causing me to think something i've never thought before and oftentimes in religion and politics the result of that is they kind of get rid of you and kind of cast you out so they don't have to deal with you <laughs> you're causing them <laughs> to question everything they believe and that happened to me twice actually um Another story for another day. At one point, the, the last, really, it was my favorite job I've ever had. It was in the early 2000s, um, a, 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 pastor, a pastoral job that I got fired from. Toward the end, I had a couple of situations that they almost led to full-on like fist fights. I mean, I was in situations that I thought, oh, my gosh, the only way I'm going to get out of this is to duck some blows. Like, it got that heated. And I'm telling you, man, religion and politics, people get really, really uh, particular on. And so I decided after that job, I kind of stayed in, in ministry, kind of part-time, uh, while building business for myself. Um, but at one point, I decided, look, I'm still a pastor at heart. I just want to empower people. I also love business. I think there's a place in the marketplace for us to really have these deep conversations about human connection. I know without a doubt that if leaders can become more human intentional, that it will impact their business in a very good way. It'll help them build the right teams and it'll help them show up for themselves and for others uh, in a way that they can't do otherwise. And so that's kind of the story of how it began. It's kind of the story of how I arrived today. And, and I sincerely, you know, I've had people that I've known for 20, 25 years that heard me speak and preach 20, 25 years ago. And quite frankly, it's been the same message since then. And that is, I think people just want to be shown value. Um, I think people just want to be appreciated. And I really believe people just want to be a part of something larger than themselves. Those are kind of the three fundamental human needs. And I really believe um, from the human that we consider the worst to the human that we consider the best. I think they all still have those kind of basic human desires. And when we can create cultures and atmospheres that provide for those three needs, um, it really takes care of a lot of the issues that we face. Nice. So obviously, <clears throat> you, you know, you are a speaker and you like to talk about, you know, culture and hiring people. So why is intentionally designing culture for an organization so valuable? Yeah, it really kind of relates to everything I just said. I mean, it just, it, it, um, culture is intentional, yet culture exists, whether you're intentional about it or not. And that's kind of the tricky thing about culture, right? And someone says, well, what is culture anyway? My simple definition of culture is it's the way we live, move, and exist. It's what we do on a day in and day out basis. It's what we believe on a day in and day out basis. And whether we like it or not, we're sharing that existence and those beliefs with the people around us. You know, when, when we were raising our kids, we didn't necessarily set out to create a certain culture for our kids. At the same time, they became who they are because of the culture that we had as a family. And so I think the mistake that many leaders make is, is they're not intentional. And, and the intentionality of designing culture becomes more critical as you bring more people to the table. Because everyone that's coming to the table is bringing their own representation of culture. They're bringing their own expectation. They're bringing their own needs and desires. And when we don't have a conversation about those, that's when the issues begin to arise. When we assume 
that people understand how they should represent themselves within our workplace culture, that's the major critical mistake. Um, assumption will kill your culture. It'll kill your momentum. It'll kill your self-esteem and your confidence quicker than anything. You never want to assume. And so the intentionality of designing culture is simple. It's knowing what people are bringing to the table with their skills, their abilities, their presence, their energy, their aptitude. But then it's also being clear on how we are going to represent as an organization, as a business, as a community, and then designing the functional parts from that. What's crazy is I would dare to say the vast majority of organizations don't ever have those conversations because it could be a little bit, you know, it's like we're kind of treading on kind of shallow ground if we're not careful. But the flip side to not having those conversations is you're functioning from assumption. Uh, and as my dad used to say, we all know what assuming makes of us. Take the first three letters and get rid of the rest. And that's what you'll become. If you function from assumption, it just simply doesn't work. Yeah, no. Um, the big thing is there's so many people who don't create values within their company. Yes. And then if they do create values, they don't live by them. That's they right. don't talk to the talk to their team about it. They don't preach it yep. to their team. They don't bring it up every day. And I like to bring up when, when I did work at Best Buy from 02 to 06, they literally beat the mission, vision, and values right. into our head so much that to this day, I still remember them. Yeah. Because yeah. once a week, you'd get quizzed. Hey, what's our mission statement? What's our vision? What's our values? Every morning meeting, every evening meeting, mission, vision, values. Every supervisor meeting, what's our mission, vision, values? They beat it into your head because that's what the culture was all about, right? Yeah. Now, the only difference is, is if people didn't live by them, they weren't really firing right. off of them, right? Which right. is a different, right? right? And as an entrepreneur, if you are building, uh, making these values, you need to you need to hire and fire based off of your values, right? Which yes. is which yes. is a huge yes. challenge because a lot of times it could be your top producers you're getting rid of. That's right. That's right. right? Well, is, that that's what I call alignment. That that you just painted the picture of alignment. So when everything is aligned and we have a distinct, clear culture, and by the way. Um, I, I had a very similar uh, kind of experience with a company that I was with. I guess I went to work for them in 98 and then left in 2003, 2004. So a little before you were at Best Buy, I can tell you to this day, their mission statement to create the most enjoyable shopping experience possible for our guests. I haven't had to say that mission statement in almost 20 years. And I still know it to this day because it's the same. But, but the cool thing is you go into any Best Buy and you get a very similar experience at every single Best Buy. The company I was with, you go into any of their 400 stores, you're going to get the same experience. I always laugh about Chick-fil-A. You go into any Chick-fil-A, you're going to get the same experience. I mean, it's just those companies have mm -hmm. really kind of pinned and they kind of have to, right? Because they're so large. And, and my point to small business owners, which makes up the majority of the world's economy, by the way, my point to small business owners is if companies like Best Buy, Chick-fil-A, McDonald's, you know, if they find it valuable to be intentional with culture, then why wouldn't you? Like that just makes all the sense in the world. And so, but that clarity on culture and that clarity with intent 
is really what leads us to alignment. And the, that is the major mistake most people make when hiring. They're not clear on their values. They have zero clarity on their culture. So they don't have any clue about how to communicate that in your words. How do we preach that message? And so then they're just hiring with a blindfold on. It's like, well, I need someone to do this task. So I think that person could do the task. So I'm going to bring them on board. Never considering how is this person going to fulfill our values? How is this person going to connect with our culture? How is this person going to balance out our team? You know, without getting into it for the listeners and viewers, you and I had a great conversation before the show. And we were kind of in a way talking about that alignment when it comes down to it. Yeah. And those are the questions that most leaders don't ask is when it comes to remove the task, remove the job description, remove all of that. When it comes down, down to me just measuring how this human is going to balance out our team, that should be the first filter that I ask when I go to hire someone. Because if they aren't going to balance out my team and serve a greater purpose in my team, it doesn't matter if they can do the job. It just doesn't. Because even if they can do the job, if they're not a good fit, it will never work. And you, you know, you lose to your highest performer. You should, in a way, I say this and people are, it's kind of like shock factor. You should never hire based on a job description. <laughs> you, you should always hire based on how they fit your culture and your team. And then second place comes, is it great to hire the job description? Yes. If I'm going in for surgery, do I want a licensed, experienced doctor performing the surgery? Yes. But I don't want a negative belly doctor coming in and saying, this surgery's, this surgery's not going to work. You're not going to recover from this surgery. But we'll st still perform it. And unfortunately, that's that's how many people are hired. Well, they can do the job, but their energy is just off. And it never works out, ever. Yeah, no, we had a... Uh, a friend of mine, uh, he he does consulting and stuff like that, right? And uh, basically, you know, he did this whole little thing about about how to interview uh, mm. somebody based off of your values. So, for instance, yes. like one of my values is continuous improvement, right? Mm -hmm. So he was saying, you know, you could ask somebody a question. Tell me about a time where you had to find ways to personally improve things in yes. your life. Right. Yes. And yes. what you're doing is you're getting them to think critically yep. and see if they can answer it. If they can't answer it, they're probably not going to be right for your culture. If right. they can answer it, then it, you, and give you a good example, then you might know, Hey, that's good. Then you might want to go to maybe one of your other values. Right. Yes. Yes. You know? So, you know, tell me about a time where, um, you know, you may be, you know, maybe where you had to, where you had to use your integrity to uh, prove that you, yes. you were very honest or whatever. Right. And, and maybe someone will say, you know, I seen somebody drop a $10 bill and uh, I went and gave them that. Right. Because I, you know, I wanted to be honest now, whether or not they're being truthful and that actually really happened or not, that's a whole other question. Right. But the big thing is, can they give an example of something that did happen that made them question right. it or that will align with your culture. And then, you know, the big thing, like in the networking group I'm in, it's all about building those people to work yes. in your organization, right. With your team. Yes. I love those questions. And so who, you, whoever your friend is, is spot on because 
Um, you know, I, I did a, I did an event, uh, I guess, last month, and and it was a it was a military related event. What they were doing, they created this program to help military spouses. You know, because the military, um, at least in the United States, they get restationed quite often. Like every you know few years, they get sent to another location. That's really difficult for military spouses because many military spouses, they want a career. <laughs> they went and got a degree. They want to do something. And so this, this program they've created actually is really positively supported to help military spouses kind of get back on their feet. And so they asked me to come in and do a piece on interviewing, but, but really it was interviewing based on the interviewee, not the interviewer. And so that was kind of a really cool take on I'm going to help empower people give a good interview like they're being interviewed. Um, and I hadn't done that in a while. So I'm like, OK, this is kind of cool because it's kind of pushing my my thought process a little bit. So the first thing I did was Google what are the top 10 interview questions that most, you know, kind of industry standard. They're terrible. They're terrible. Like eight of the top 10 questions are just hideous that I'm like, why are companies even adding these questions are not relative whatsoever to what's, you know, and so, um, so anyway, it just made me think, uh, how could companies ask better questions and, and, and your friend is on point, it is directly related to the values and the culture, you know, I always tell people what I learned, gosh, I don't know, man, I've probably interviewed well over five people. I know that. It may be upwards of 10. Um, and what I learned in those interviews were, I can pretty much tell within three questions, if you're going to be a fit, and if I really want to hire you. And in my opinion, if I'm a really a master interviewer, and I can tell within three questions, if I know it's not going to be a fit, then why continue the interview? Like, it makes no sense to me. Like, if I know this is just flat out not going to work, then I'm not going to continue the interview. And I've got a friend right now that actually is going through kind of finding a new a new path in his career. And I'm not kidding you. He's had three different companies take him through four phases of interviewing. Oh, man, that's disgusting. And I'm just like, what kind of experience is that? Like, like sincerely, what kind of experience is that for those people? You know, I guarantee you those people know if they're really going to give that person a shot. And so, but I think that what it comes down to is what we've been talking about. I think it comes down to lack of clarity. I think it comes down to ignorance. Like I truly feel people that are in hiring positions have never truly been taught how to interview, how to hire, and how to do that based on values and culture. Um, you know, some of my favorite interviewing questions are, what are your five favorite books? What are your top five favorite books? It's crazy how many people can't answer that question because they don't read. Reading is one of the best ways to be a, a, a grower, a self-improvement person, a person that has passion for yeah. learning new things. But if you don't read, you're not going to fit my culture because guess what I have people do? Read. We read because we're learners and we're growing and we're gaining knowledge and wisdom and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it's crazy. What are your top five favorite books? I have no idea. What's the last I time got, you went to a library? You know, it's I just got, like I got books right up there, man. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it's just but the person that can spout it all. Oh, my top five favorite books are this, and I just read a new one that moved into my top five. Now I'm all of a sudden like, okay, 
Now we've got something here. And I probably could name three off the top of my head because there's always like two or three that I are always clear in my head. I probably wouldn't name five, just to be honest. You'd put me on the spot, but that's just me, right? But even three, I mean, that's that's amazing. And that's more than most people. Um, And it's just really, you know, one, one interviewing technique, I'll kind of throw this in for free. And I know a lot of people use this, but I don't think they truly listen to the story. One of my favorite ways to open an interview is, hey, tell me a little bit about yourself. It's not unlike how you opened this interview. Mitch, tell me your story. And I actually relate their ability to tell me their story with initiative, with connection. And then it allows me to listen to some things that maybe they don't realize they're pointing out. And so, but again, you have to have clarity. And that's kind of been our point through all of this. Yeah, so the big thing for me that uh, I like to ask, well, I used to ask, right, when I'd hire people, uh, and, and there's there's reasons why I ask these questions. So one of the questions I would ask is, what is your favorite superhero and why? Mm-hmm. The reason why is because let's say, you know, I don't know, let's say they say Superman, and they say because he defies yeah. gravity, he shows strength, he shows, yeah. so it might be qualities they see that they don't personally have that maybe they want right. to develop. So it could turn right. into a, like a conversation during the interview. Occasionally, I'll get people like, uh, why would you ask that question? Right. Like over the years, <laughs> and it's like, okay, like, I'm, because what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get them to warm up, yes. loosen up, yes. start talking. Uh, the other thing I like to ask is, you know, you know, do you have a favorite sports team? Mm. And the reason why is because, you know, I'd like to find out, you know, are they into sports? Not because of that, because I want to find out, hey, are they into things that teams do together? Because if you want to hire somebody who is uh, a team player, you want to say, you know, you might find out, hey, well, actually, I play hockey. So I'm really big into, I don't know, the Colorado Avalanche. I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there. Right. I really like them. And I, uh, my favorite player is uh, whoever. I don't even know. I don't really follow hockey. Or follow right. soccer. <laughs> I'm a huge European football buff. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, but you, you know what I mean? So that's the yeah. thing, but you can get them talking and then you might find out, okay, well, what do you like about the team environment? What's your favorite position? You know, my favorite position is midfield because they're in the middle of the whole team and they're helping the forwards. They're helping the defense. They're supporting you don't know where the conversation is going to go. And you might right. go like, you know what? This person sounds perfect for my culture. Now I'm going to deep dive into yes. some more questions, yes. you yes. know, like the whole continuous improvement, the, yeah. you know, those kind of questions to see, okay, is this the right person? But right. the thing is, is you want to get somebody who is open to those, the thinking, if you find out like, no, I'm not into, I'm not into team sports. Uh, You know what? I just like playing video games. Oh, okay. Do you play video games with your friends? Right. Actually, I do. Oh, okay. What do you guys play? You know, we play Fortnite. Oh, because you guys like competing against each other in that. Yeah, I I love competition. Okay, cool. We want people who are competing with each other, you know, that want to drive to be the best. So you can still take that conversation and turn it into something else by asking those questions. But yes. You know, but if you find out that they just, you know, sit in their own room and do that. Now, maybe if they're a computer program, that might be what you want. <laughs> right. But again, you, you have clarity. Right? You have you have clarity. And, and, and there's something that you've actually defined um, through that story. And that is understanding the roles that people play on a team. 
And so you just alluded to it. Yes, if, if you're looking for someone that you know is going to function on your team a little bit in isolation, um, you know, we've seen that over the last couple of years with remote work. Yeah. And, and we've also seen where leaders and, and various organizations have really screwed that up because they have people on their teams that are working remotely that are actually community people. They need that community. That's how they thrive. And organizations oftentimes didn't quite figure out how to keep the community going while people were away from each other physically. And so, but, but, but really what you're alluding to is that idea of, I may have a, a position that's in isolation that only kind of connects with the team as a community at our weekly meeting. Okay, I don't need extroverted Jim to be in that isolated position because that's a bad seat on the bus for extroverted Jim. I need extroverted Jim to be in a position where maybe they're helping lead the charge or maybe they're helping connect the team together. But I've got introverted Susie who's perfectly fine in that tech role that's going to be a little bit isolated, just providing some support. But really, you're defining the role. And having clarity on that actually helps you understand how to identify those people, where to identify. Like, if you're hiring for an isolated position and you're a person that has the courage to go out and recruit, which I advise, you're not going to go recruit the extroverted salesperson for an isolated position. That makes zero sense. <laughs> so then you're going to have to get a little bit more connected in your community and in your network and find someone who has shown success in an isolated position and vice versa. But again, we're talking that clarity. You know, one exercise that I always encourage people to go through, and I would actually encourage leaders to take themselves through this. Number one, creating your perfect teammate persona. Who are they? Where do they shop? What books do they read? What do they, you know, kind of feel like energetically? What kind of aptitude do they have? What's their intelligence level? What's their emotional intelligence level? Like really kind of, I've even seen companies that have done kind of the same marketing one-on-one idea and they'll create like a big sticker that, that you know, this is, this is Sarah and Jill. They're our perfect teammate personas. And they've actually kind of described that even down to kind of maybe what they look like. And, you know, you kind of got to be a little cautious with that, but you could um, really kind of play that out and build a caricature of your perfect teammate persona. And to take it a step further for leaders, I think it's really critical that organizations create their perfect leader persona. As a leader, it makes me look in the mirror, but it also gives us an objective goal for people to develop too. We have clarity on the people that we want leading our team. Here's how they function. Here's how they look energetically. And then we can really have a goal that we've set out and everyone can kind of reach toward that goal. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's nice. Right. So, you know, we are talking about recruiting. We're talking about bringing people into culture, you know, where can someone recruit great people? Like where, where do you recommend trying to find these people? Yeah, well, first of all, you got to have clarity on who you need, why you need them, what role they're going to play. Um, I have a saying that uh, a mentor of mine in the early 2000s shared with me, and that is birds of a feather flock together. And so the most easy answer to that question is, where have you experienced great customer service, the type of culture you would like to replicate in your community workplace organization? 
and then begin digging there. So we used to have this kind of idea that we would share to give us a good illustration of recruiting. When they mine for gold, they're not actually looking for what's called the mother load. They're actually looking for a vein. And if they can find a vein of gold, they simply follow that vein that eventually takes them to the mother load. And recruiting is very similar. I'm going to find a culture. Let's just use our example of Best Buy. So I feel like every time I go in Best Buy, I have an amazing experience. I might go hang out at Best Buy a little bit more. And every time Mike at Best Buy helps me, he's incredible. So then my question simply becomes, hey, Mike, I don't know if you know anybody looking for an opportunity, but I'm really looking for some great people for my team. Do you know anybody that's like you? Because I really enjoy the experience you give me every single time I'm here. Now, you're doing one of two things. That's what I call passive recruiting. So you're not recruiting Mike directly. <laughs> but you kind of are indirectly recruiting Mike because you're asking Mike, hey, do you know anyone? Because I'm not going to, I may not recruit Mike directly. Do you know anyone? And Mike kind of goes, I've had this happen more times than not. Mike goes, yeah, I actually have a, you know, a couple of friends that, you know, just looking for a change or they just graduated from college or whatever. But you know what? I'm, I'm kind of thinking about a change too. Oh, really? Well, hey, you know, if I could take you out for coffee, that'd be great. Love to meet. What I've done in that scenario is I've gained trust with Mike. I've seen Mike in the workplace environment. I've seen him communicate with his team. One time I was buying something for Christmas and he had to call his manager over. So I've seen him interact with his superiors. I've seen him interact with guests. Mike has already shown me his resume. I've seen it. I don't even need it at this point. I've seen it. And if Mike has done that consistently, as he's helped me as a customer, then I know when Mike sends me someone, they're probably going to be pretty trustworthy. So he's already given me their business card. And when I can actually do that, and what I'm saying is you're doing this over and over and over and over again. So you're never hiring out of urgency. You're always proactively building your file. And you're you going, know, yeah, I've still got Mike. Yeah. And it's really that, that simple, quite frankly. It's funny that you say that because... Um... So I applied to work at Best Buy in 2002, and uh, I ended up finding out that a lot of the people who were hired at Best Buy were hired that exact way that you're talking about. Yeah. Because they hired a bunch of, like, the senior managers for the stores and then had them go around all the yep. competitors, right? You know, they went to, you know, Home Depot. They went to, you know, yep. Radio Shack, which used to exist back in the day, to all these different places, and basically – went in, found people that were going to give them, you know, good service. And then they kind of did like a whole, Hey, you know, if you know anyone looking, here's the card, da, 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 da. which is funny because later when I left in 06, a bunch of people followed me. They, <laughs> they assumed that I did that to them and accused yeah. me of it. And I said, I said, I actually didn't do that. Yeah. People just followed me because they liked my leadership. But I said, honestly, this is what you guys did when you opened the market. Yeah. And yeah. So why would you, even if you, even if I did do it, which I didn't, right? what's wrong with it? You did that to everybody in the market, <laughs> right? You know, and, and, and what's crazy is that there's a word that gets used. I don't hear it as much now as I used to back in the day, but the word poaching. Oh, you know, I thought, the you, were, I thought you were going to say hypocrite, but and my theory on that always has been, it's not my responsibility to help you keep your people. It's my responsibility to build a great team. 
And if me inviting your person, you know, another strategy is I'm going to invite them in to do business with me. So say I own a coffee shop. Well, I'm going to invite Mike. Hey, Mike, if you're ever looking for a great cup of coffee, come see me. What's the difference in that and me asking Mike if he knows great people? And, and that's where, you know, people only get pissed off when their people get taken from them because they didn't do a good enough job keeping them. But that's not my responsibility. I have one responsibility, and that is to build the best team I can possibly build. And I'm going to go back to your sports analogy. We understand this in sports. But for some reason, when it comes to the workplace, we lose our ever-loving mind and go, oh, my gosh, they took my people. Well, then the first action you need to take as a leader is to look in the mirror and go, okay, there's a reason those people left. There's a reason they found something else more inviting. And that's the question that that becomes. But, you know, really, again, if we go, hey, Mike, do you know anyone? I'm, I'm just networking. That's all I'm trying to do. And if we can do that as a habitual practice as leaders, then we never find ourselves in a situation that we're having to urgently hire someone because we're constantly building that Rolodex. Even if I just have a team of 10, if I have a team of 10, I should be ready and, and, and willing to pull the trigger on anything when someone leaves because I've built up enough of a network that I can make one phone call and find someone. Yeah. You know, the networking group we're in, uh, the big thing he talks about is if you have one, you ha you have two. Right. Right. If you yes. need one, you have two. Yes. If you yes. have one, you have none. Right. Because if that person exactly quits, right. you don't have anybody. You have yep. no backup. You have nothing to credit you. So his big thing is, is if you if you need one, you have two. Yes. Right. It's exactly so, right. So I worked this one job. I'll tell this little story here because we are coming near the end of the 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 uh, the uh, recording here. And I was working this job and I was doing these certain roles and responsibilities. And I told the ownership group, we need to cross train somebody for this. And they're like, well, you're not going anywhere. I'm like, well, it's not a matter of whether I'm going anywhere. I, I said, I always use the analogy that Kevin O'Leary uses. And if you ever watch Shark Tank, right? Mm -hmm. He's like, what, so what am I buying? I'm buying you, right? And, and, and people get offended by it. Like, man, he's such a, such an asshole, right? And it's like, yeah. well, no, no. Like I started understanding it later on, you know, if that guy gets hit by a bus tomorrow, because that's what Kevin yes. O'Leary would always say, that guy hits by a bus tomorrow, there's no business, there's right. no systems and processes, yeah. there's no company, right? The yeah. company is that person. That's right. Yeah. Right. But yet if he had two people like a left hand and a right hand man or whatever, you know, behind working, working with him. And he yep. got hit by that bus. There's still two people that know how to do the whole job and run the whole right. business. Right. right? But right. The, the problem is, is most people don't think like that. Right. Well, it's, they're, very, they're very much full of fear because the idea of, well, what if they do a better job than I did? And it's like, get out of here with that. A, I've never seen that happen. B, you want to be a strong enough leader that the people around you are better at the job than you are. Like your number one priority as a leader is to work yourself out of the position. Yeah. Because if you do that, you will never lose your position. And so to your point, that's exactly right. Is that preparation and that clarity is critical to moving things forward. Yeah. You want to, as the business owner, you want to get yourself into the visionary position yes. Yes. where you are continuously evolving the vision for the company. And yep. 
you want to get to that point where if somebody does drop off, you are still capable of doing the job and dropping back in it. However, yes. your systems and processes should be in, in, in such good place that you should be, well, Dave's left us after 10 years. It was, it was really good, but he's moved on to something. And, and I'll be honest, all the training and everything here, uh, I wish him luck. I think he's going to be a great entrepreneur with what he's planning on doing. However, uh, Bob, you know what? You've been with us eight years and you pretty much know 80% of the job. Let's move you forward and let's get you trained on that extra 20%. And we also, you've done a good job training other people underneath you. We're going to move right. people up the ladder, right? So yeah. at the same time, but most people look at it as Dave left, Dave screwed <laughs> us, Dave's a jerk, he's ruined our company, and then they talk bad about them, right? And then what ends up happening is there's people who respected Dave, and now they're sour towards you as the visionary. That's right. Now That's they're right. questioning whether or not they want to stay in this culture, right? You should celebrate that you've done so well to get them ready yes. for yes. where they're going. And what I learned early on working at Best Buy is I learned that some of these people are only going to be here for a month. Some of these people are going to be here for three. Some of these people are going to be here for three years, right? Yeah. Some of these people are going to come here and stay here for the next 20. You don't know who those people are. Some people are just here because they're in college. That's so right. all I would do is I would tell them, hey, I'm going to do everything I can to teach you as much information to help yes. you later on in life that yes. I can right yes. now. However, when you're here, I expect you to do all of this. These are your expectations when you're here. As long as you do that, I will help you with other things that will help you later on in life. And I would find out, you know, what their personal life goals are, what their long-term goals are. But most people don't think like that. They just think like, right. oh, Dave left and he screwed us. Yeah. Right. And that's the problem. You have to change your thinking, right? That's right. That's and if right. you have proper systems and processes and you have proper recruiting and you build that proper culture, you yeah. you'll you'll take a, a tiny dip for a small period of time, but other people will catch up because they have the proper training. The greatest organizations of any size, small mom and pop to Fortune 500 organizations, they understand that one of their most valuable roles is to be a launch pad for the success of the people within that organization, regardless if that success is found inside or outside. They know that we are going to be a launch pad. You know, I always tell small, small business owners, you should make it your goal to launch more entrepreneurs. Like as a small business, you should make that one of your top priorities. We are going to be a place that graduating college students, young professionals, people that have a desire to be an entrepreneur are going to come because they know if they stay with us for a year, they can learn everything they need to know to go start their own business. I guarantee you if a small business would take that as one of their top priorities, they would never have an issue finding people. And it would be the best of the best because it would be the dreamers and the creators and the entrepreneurs and the ambitious and the intentional. And so, you know, you're exactly right is we function from that place of fear. You know, so many leaders I talk to, well, we don't want turnover. My question is why? Like I get you're scared of turnover, but if you have healthy turnover, you're actually in a best place position to create success. So we need to remove that old theory from our mind. I don't want turnover. Okay, so you want people that are going to stay with you 10, 15 years and probably get stagnant? That's the other side of the coin. 
They're just going to hang out. They're going to take their $15, $20 an hour and get stagnant. Okay. Guess what? Man. You're going to come back to me and fight. You're going to come back to me in a year with the same problems. And I see that over and over and over again. In fact, oftentimes, because I deal mostly with small business, yeah, we've got five employees that have been, been with us 30 years. Okay, great. How have they developed? Uh, they're just great workers. Okay, but what does that mean? Status quo? What have they created in the company? What new idea have they brought to you? And rarely, if ever, have I had a leader say, oh, no, we kept this person because they could be our CEO. They're so amazing at their job. No, it's like, no, they just show up every day. Okay, if that's the bar you're looking at, you have more problems than hiring and recruiting. What's that that famous saying? Um, I don't want to train my employees because what if they quit on me and leave to work somewhere else? He yeah. goes, yeah, but what if you... What if you don't train them and they keep giving everybody terrible customer service, right? Like, and, they, and they still will quit and go right? somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. so you don't want to train them because you're worried they might quit and go somewhere else. Right. But what if you, yeah. but because you're not training them and continuously getting them to improve and invest in their skills, that's what you're giving to your customers. I have a theory on uh, people that, the majority of people that are in leadership positions and where I know we need to wrap up that theory is two. that theory is twofold. And I'm basing this theory on 25 years now of various types of leadership. Theory number one is I think many leaders are addicted to the chaos. In other words, I think psychologically and emotionally, they don't move to what makes sense because it removes the chaos and the reason I came to that theory is I've had leaders over time, and I've experienced this, that it's really scary when you remove the chaos because it's like, okay, what is my role now if I'm not putting out fires? And so I really want leaders to take inventory personally and go, am I addicted to the chaos? Because if I am, that's one of the greatest issues at hand. The second theory I have is, is I believe many leaders are codependent. In other words, if they feel like people aren't depending on them for their survival, then they have no place. And so when you tie that codependence with that addiction to chaos, what you see is what we often experience when talking to leaders in those positions. What if your life went perfectly well and you only had to work 15 hours a week and your revenue actually doubled? But then what would I do with my life? I don't know. Go buy a boat. Have some fun. Oh, but wait, are my people going to be able to survive without me? No, they're going to thrive if you do this the right way. And so I think there's a real identity crisis for many leaders because we've developed this culture of hustle and bustle and the CEO works 80 hours a week. And it's like, that's a pile of BS. Like you did not go out to start a business to work 80 hours a week. No one did. So let's really pull it back and go, am I addicted to the chaos and am I codependent on others needing me because that fulfills my ego? Yeah. Oh, it's great. Great discussion. Um, it was great having you on the show. Uh, how, Appreciate it, man. How can people get in touch with you if they're, if they're interested in having a conversation about this or maybe getting you to speak or? Yep. Love it. I'll give you two simple ways. Shoot me an email. Mitch at MitchGrayMedia.com. Uh, G-R-A-Y is my last name. That's an easy way. And then also on LinkedIn, just search Mitch Gray, and I should be the first one that pops up. Also subscribe to the Mitch Gray Show podcast. It's available anywhere you listen to podcasts. Yeah. 
Awesome. Appreciate you coming on and uh, hope you have a great rest of your year. Appreciate you, man. Thanks for listening to the Focus on Customer Experience podcast. Podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. For more information or to connect with Ben, check out Benjamin Del Grosso on LinkedIn at SafeDriveSolutions on Instagram or www.safedrivesolutions.ca online. We'll see you next time.